Uh, one of the things I want to do this morning, uh, we, we didn't, I, I shared last Sunday about where we, where do we go from here? I had a little pin that said we are here and talked about Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 16. When I get back, as I said, I won't be here next Sunday, Bishop Randy Sizemore, who has a message that God has put on his heart to share with our denomination as he seeks to help us and guide us into reaching people for Jesus, shares that with all of you. When I get back, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 16 to talk about where God is leading, guiding, and taking us. But at least for 10 years, I know even before I was here, uh, we've used this Sunday to focus on the sanctity or the sacredness of human life because it is a very important that we as the church do this. God has put the church in every culture, whether it's the American culture, the Irish culture, the Liberian culture, the Japanese culture, whatever it is, God has the church there to be salt and light in it. That's what we're called to be. And so it doesn't always look like, you know, sharing a Bible verse with somebody out there, but sometimes it looks like championing and standing for the sacredness of human life. And in our culture, this might be, could be the most important thing we can do as the church in 2023, in the 21st century, because of the direction it all has been going with this very issue. And this doesn't just concern the pro-life, the, uh, the abortion issue, the it just doesn't concern life in the womb. It actually concerns all of life. It runs the spectrum. So what I'm saying today includes life in the womb and life on a deathbed. Because as I've shared before, if you live in Canada, the Canadian government has given a euphemistic term to killing people. They call it medical aid in dying. Medical aid in dying is simply a way of saying, we, as the Canadian government, will help kill you if that's what you want. It's, it's medical-assisted suicide. And they said it's just for people who have terminal illness, and they keep on lessening the restrictions behind that to the point that people are calling, and they're just depressed, and they're calling for help, and the government's leading them towards, well, have you thought about ending your life? The sacredness of human life starts in the womb, and if we can't even see it there, we're going to end up in a place that we don't want to be. And so oftentimes with this kind of thing, I quote one of my favorite theologians, Clint Eastwood, and it's a, I know he's not a theologian. Uh, the, the movie is A Fistful of Dollars, I believe. The quote is, when life has no value, death has its price. Clint Eastwood in that movie was a bounty hunter. He's in what we call the Wild West. There's a reason we call it the Wild West. Because there was no sacredness to life. There was no rule of law. It was whoever had the fastest gun was the one who was in charge. It was chaos. It was, if you read back in the Old Testament, you got to go pretty far back into the beginning. It's called the Book of Judges. And there's a verse in there that's a really scary verse. It says, everyone did what was right 
in their own eyes. And the book of Judges is all about what it looks like when everyone does what is right in their own eyes. And it's a pretty scary place to live. That's what the Wild West was like. That's what it's like when we don't value the sacredness of life. And you could go to lots of scriptures, and, and maybe for 10 years, you can. I'm sure we've got them all saved. For 10 years, Ted's been doing a message on this very issue. And maybe it feels like, and I'm just one person of many doing the same thing. Maybe enough has been said already. But if there's a day in which we are killing a baby, not enough has been said. Until there is no more abortion, not enough has been said. Now, I know everybody falls on different spectrums on this. It's pretty obvious to see where I fall on it. But I want to I come at it from a way that is based on what God has already said. And I'm just trying to let everybody else know what God has already said. We don't understand how important it is that, that we grasp that our value does not come from the culture telling us we're valuable, from, from being famous, from being wealthy, from being powerful. It doesn't come because the government says you have value. It doesn't come because the most powerful people in this group says you have value. It comes from God. And I am so grateful that you and I live in a place where it was written into the founding documents of the place that we grew up. That we were endowed by our creator. It speaks specifically to know that, that the Lord is God. There is no other God. That is the claim the scriptures are making. All the other gods are false. There is only one God. Jesus does not miss any words when he is on earth claiming to be him. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. And we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. That's just one way of Scripture trying to convey the reality that you and I are made by God. And so your value and worth comes because you are a human being made by him. You can go back to Genesis to read all about that in the creation story. There's lots of religions that have lots of creation stories. And in each of them, they're trying to give value to people. And your value in many of them is what you can do for the gods. Or if you're a really good person. Or you name it, it's all trying to tell you how you have value. It's only in this creation story that starts with God that says, because you are made in his image, you have value and worth. In that value and worth... What we're finding out, if we're not willing to fight for it in the womb, is going to become very tenuous outside of the womb. And now we're going to start deciding in the third leading cause of death in 2023 in Canada was the Canadian government in helping people kill themselves. This is why what we're talking about is so important in understanding what 
were fighting for with Jewel Women's Center. Now, in the lobby, we do this every year, you'll find one of these. If you missed it on your way in, when you walk out, there's a table to your right, has a baby bottle on it. This baby bottle you can fill with change, cash, checks, whatever. Bring it back to the church, and then we'll deliver them back to Jewel Women's Center. This is one of the fundraisers that they use to support the work of ministry that happens all year long. Now, we've been partnering with Jewel for a long time. In fact, uh, Reverend Bob Stahl, who was here as part of this church, was instrumental in getting a crisis pregnancy center in Schuylkill County when he was doing ministry in this county. And so since then, we've been interconnected with Jewel in a lot of ways. Many of you have served on the board. Many of you have volunteered. They use our facility for lots of different things. It's always open to them, free of charge to come here and use it because we believe in the ministry that they're doing. Because changing the direction of culture doesn't come because you vote for this president. It doesn't come because you vote and this Supreme Court justice gets in. It doesn't come because you vote for this politician. It doesn't come because you send money to sendmoneynow.com and they say, oh, if you vote for me, you're going to change all of it. Well, we've already seen that's not how it works. We were not long ago celebrating the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Wonderful, yes. We're saying that the the founding fathers did not see abortion in the Constitution, somewhere in there. That's wonderful. And as you, if you've been following this, you can see each state by state. And it doesn't look pretty for life in many of those states. That overturning of Roe v. Wade, getting the right Supreme Court justices in there, doesn't seem to have changed the direction that we want to go. But you know who can change the direction? The people who are sitting down with the women in that crisis pregnancy center and talking to them about life and introducing them to Jesus. The more people they see, the bigger impact we're going to have because it's those one-on-ones, it's them caring for these ladies, for the whole person, not just say, hey, choose life. What, what do you need? Here's some material assistance. Here's some counseling. Here's somebody to walk alongside you as you go through this pregnancy and after the child is born. Here's somebody that you can talk to if you have gone through an abortion and you're struggling with that and there's just a lot of pain that you're bringing with you. Here's somebody else you can talk to. Here's resources that we can give you that you can have this baby. If you don't think you can raise this baby, there are people who are waiting to adopt children. It's these people in crisis pregnancy centers, over 200 or over 2,000 of them in the United States of America who will change the course of our culture. And it's our willingness to get behind people like them and stand firm on what we believe and why we believe it about the sacredness of life. And as a church, be very clear about what we believe and very loving in how we walk alongside those who are struggling. That's going to change all of this. That's why it's so important to me to talk about Jewel and crisis pregnancy centers in the United States because it isn't a politician who's going to change the world. It's not a politician who's going to change this. It's the church. 
and it's volunteers like you. They are always looking for people to come and be a client advocate, to come and sit down with women who are struggling, to come and talk through some options, to do parenting classes and financial classes and you name it. You can help them do that and in that way be very influential and something that is near and dear to the to God. That's human life since he's the one who dreamed it up and makes it so and makes it happen. So I want to just show a short video. It's talking about these baby bottles uh, that Jewel has put out as a way to just kind of share with you what they seek to do with it. Uh, but an, an opportunity for you, maybe you're not going to sit in their center and talk to somebody. You don't have to. You can just give and help somebody else do that, help them do that. Because it is one of the defining issues, for sure, of the 21st century as the church. Here's Jewel. Save a life. When you participate in a baby bottle campaign, your gifts help provide cost-free pregnancy services, education, and resources to countless women and families facing unintended pregnancies in our community. Every bottle can make a difference. We invite you to take home a bottle and fill it with loose change and dollar bills. Each time that you add something to the bottle, we ask that you pause and pray over the moms, dads, and babies that we serve. At the end of the campaign, simply return your filled bottle and we will total up the change. The funds raised will help reach more women and families facing pregnancy decisions, offer life-affirming options and resources, and provide the support that they need to choose life. Take home a bottle today. Your spare change can help save, change, and transform lives. Last year, the uh, what they call the baby bottle boomerang generated twenty-eight thousand uh, dollars for Jewel Women's Center. Now, that twenty-eight thousand dollars of the roughly two hundred churches in Schuylkill County, twenty-eight of us got baby bottles and returned those baby bottles. So, twenty-eight of us uh, generated twenty-eight thousand dollars. And I just want to say thank you to Grace Church for your continued support, opening up our building to them, but your continued financial support of this ministry. Of those 28 churches, uh, we were the third highest in giving, and we're not that big of a church. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for believing in, in what they're doing. But I, my prayer is that we can double that 28 churches that are involved in this in Schuylkill County um, and for next year, be able to get, if nothing else, it's not even about the money going back. It's about talking about it within our churches, this issue of the sacredness of life. And as they shared, as what we do um, at home, the, the Lily and Leah are part of filling these. They, they help to fill the baby bottles. It, it's not just something that we do. It's something we want our children to understand from little on up, just the value and the importance we put on life. 
if you saw any of the signs in the march that was happening in, in Washington, D.C., there were a bunch of young ladies that had a sign that said, we are the pro-life generation. Uh, it starts with teaching our children what it means to, to that life is sacred. What, what does that passage actually mean in Psalm 103? What does passages like Psalm 139 actually mean? What does this convey to us? Is it just a nice scripture to read or maybe put on your wall or talk about? Or is it, is it God trying to drive something very important home to us as, as his creations? Just in this 21 days of January, uh, I, and they have maybe saw more, I don't know, but if you're connected to, to Jewel through texting, uh, they will text you prayer requests. So in 21 days, that's how many days we're into January, they've already spoken with six young ladies who are in a crisis pregnancy, some of them being abortion determined, meaning they're coming there thinking they're going to help them get to the next step of having an abortion. Now, on that last screen, uh, and you can see on their website and some of the information in the, in the baby bottle itself, it, it lists all the things that they do. But if nothing else, at least within January, only 21 days in, six more women got to hear about the sacredness of life. And part of their goal is to introduce these young women to who Jesus is and what he can do by giving your life over to him as part of this pregnancy and really conveying to them these important things that are already happening inside of their womb. They do ultrasounds over there. And so this passage, it's found in Psalm 139. It's used often for these kinds of conversations because of how clearly it the scripture writer tells us how intimately God's involved in the whole process of life. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Now that is conveying a sense of intimacy. Like God is actually taking this thread and this thread or this piece of yarn and this piece of yarn and he's putting it all together to make something, make a person. It's not just randomly clumps of cells kind of slapping together and boop, there's a baby. The, the scripture writer, the, the author of scripture here is trying to say God is involved in this process. In fact, he's the one who dreamed it up. He's the one who made man. He's the one who made woman. And it's conveying this thing that's happening, this mystery. It, it is a mystery. The author is going to convey that. And it's, it's a miracle, actually, what's taking place. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. He goes on to say, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Before you and I were even a thought about our, before our mom and dads even had a thought about us, you were already existing in the mind of God. That 
That is hard to fathom, but that's the kind of God that we're talking about. That's how Scripture, how God is portraying Himself. Before you were even the slightest thought in your mom and dad's head, your days were ordained by God. When does that happen? Week one? Week 17? When is God doing all that? When is life actually beginning? When does God start this process that the psalmist is talking about, the process of making us, us. That's what we're talking about. That's what the Scripture is trying to convey here. When does life actually begin? That's pretty important that we understand. And in fact, with technology, we are seeing it happen earlier and earlier and earlier and earlier. It's amazing at what we can see with technology and what is already forming at just week four and week five. Sometimes before a a, a woman even knows they're pregnant necessarily, something of a miracle is already taking place. And that miracle was already in the mind of God and just a matter of time until we give that miracle a name. Some of you, that was really hard. God already knew it, but some of you, it was hard to give that miracle a name. There, uh, if you were a part of our connection group, um, one of connection groups were using a series called uh, What Would You Say? It's a series put out by the Colson Center, and they do all kinds of different things. One of the videos they put out is just talking about life and when it begins and how we should understand the importance of being able to to tell someone when life begins or for ourselves to understand when life begins because God is already doing something right away. God doesn't need to wait until that life kind of, sort of starts looking like a human being. He's already up to something as soon as life begins. And, And that's why we focus on this. That's why we talk about this as a church. It's important for, for me as the pastor, for us to understand just how precious this thing we call life really is. And so it breaks our hearts when somebody we love takes their own life because we know how precious it really is. Well, well God sees that already starting when he starts forming and knitting and putting together before it's even a thought in our minds as moms and dads. So I want to share this video with you. It's from the Colson Center, and it's really just trying to help us think through, talk about when does life begin. It actually is kind of giving life to putting this passage of Scripture into a concise argument for why we should champion life and why it's so sacred. So here's the Colson Center's video. You're in a conversation about abortion and someone says, human life doesn't begin at conception. It's just a clump of cells. What would you say? It's easy to say life doesn't begin at conception because an embryo doesn't look like what we think people should look like. But we know human life begins at some point. Here are a few things to remember while you think about when that is. First, life doesn't begin at birth. It isn't logical to say life begins at birth because that would suggest that the baby inside the womb one day prior to birth wasn't alive. 
It's not reasonable to say an individual who is alive at birth is not alive one day prior to birth. The only difference is where they are. So we know life does not begin at birth. Second, life doesn't begin at viability. Many argue that human life begins once a baby can survive on her own outside the womb. But there are problems with this argument too. After all, viability changes based on technology. Today, babies can be born at 24 weeks and survive. But 200 years ago, that wasn't possible. Viability is also determined based on where you are born. Wealthy nations make things possible for babies that wouldn't be possible in a poorer country. Does that mean a 24-week baby in the United States is more alive than a 24-week baby in the jungles of the Congo? Of course not. So life must be determined by something other than viability. Third, life does not begin with a heartbeat. We know that living things only come from other living things. It wouldn't be possible then for the embryo to be non-living for the first few weeks and suddenly spring into life. So the embryo has to be alive prior to the heartbeat. Does this mean that we can be alive without a heartbeat? Yes. That's actually what makes the newly conceived embryo more functionally impressive than a born person. The embryo has an ability to live, grow, and move through the stages of human development without the feature you and I need to continue our growth and development. If life doesn't begin at birth, viability, or heartbeat, when does it begin? Life begins at conception, fertilization. At fertilization, a living mother and father give life to a whole living organism, genetically distinct from his or her mother and father. No, the embryo doesn't look like everyone else, but aren't we past the idea that someone has to look a certain way before they are considered human? Think of it like a Polaroid picture. Initially, all you will see are black smudge marks. The moment the photo is taken, however, the image is captured it just needs time to develop. The same is true for you and me. The moment of sperm-egg fusion, we, in our uniqueness from our parents, began to exist. We just needed time to develop. Let's review. Life doesn't begin at birth because that suggests you aren't alive the day before birth. Life doesn't begin at viability because viability depends on where you were born and when. Life doesn't begin at the heartbeat either because that requires you to believe the heartbeat emerged from someone that isn't alive. So we're left with one option. Life begins at conception, at fertilization. It's what science tells us and logic requires us to acknowledge. For What Would You Say? I'm Stephanie Gray. If you like this video, let us know So Colson Center is trying to help us understand the process by which God starts forming life. And understanding when it begins is essential. And as you can see on the screen behind me, as uh, she shared in that video, uh, these are some basic concepts of how we understand life doesn't just begin at birth, obviously. The baby's alive one day prior to birth. Life isn't just about viability. Uh, 
for the reasons she suggested about where you live. And, you know, just 100 years ago, she said 200, but 100 years ago, that baby was not necessarily viable uh, because of technology and things like that. And certainly a living thing doesn't come from a non-living thing. And so even if you don't hear a heartbeat, although even by the time uh, you figure out you're pregnant or not, things have already progressed. So we see life beginning in this mystery of two people coming together and a distinct living organism is formed. This is why in the church, Colson Center deals with this too, the, the conversations around surrogacy, the conversations around IVF, in vitro fertilization kind of things, matters to the church because we're talking about human life. And so if you have a refrigerator filled with embryos, if we let, as they showed in the Polaroid, I think everybody knows what that is, I, Polaroids are coming back now, so the kids who maybe didn't know what they were, you take that picture, it just takes some time to develop. If we, if we let that frozen embryo give, give it time to develop, what's going to, a, a tree's not going to come out as a result of that. It's going to be a human life. So ought we be freezing human lives? Unfortunately, right now within our world in the United States and a lot of places, children, life is becoming a commodity. It's something that's bought and sold. There was a couple who chose a sterile relationship. It was a same-sex couple that was suing uh, whatever organization they got this embryo from or um, the baby that was born because it wasn't the one that they wanted. So it's like you, you go to a store and you see which one you want and you pull it out and you don't like that one, you send it back. That's the kind of way we're thinking about life. That's unhealthy. And it turns into a everyone did what was right in their own eyes and suddenly... Depending on where you live in the world, predominantly the western part of the world that supposedly has Judeo-Christian values as a part of it, your life is come, becoming pretty precarious if you have a terminal illness, depending on what country you live in, or if you just happen to be depressed that day and make the wrong phone call. It starts where life begins. This whole conversation that we're having now with all these other issues starts when we understand how sacred life really is. When, however we're wired, the makeup of us, when does all of that happen? Like, can we point to a week? Now, obviously, it's, it's pretty easy to say whether or not Ted's children are going to be like Ted. If, if, if you lined up Ted's family, you're, I'm pretty sure it could determine how tall that family's going to be. Yeah, that's kind of some predetermined stuff. You can see that by observation. When we, when Leah was born and we're taking her to the doctor, like, you know, she's really far behind in all the percentiles. Have you looked at us? Yeah, no, duh. <laughs> you need a medical degree to tell you that? <laughs> she's not going to be very big. We get it. But what about her personality, the, the things she likes and doesn't like, the way we're wired, the, the likes that I have, the... The, the, you know, personality assessments that I, if you do premarital counseling with me, that I force you to go through, how different we all are. I've got a brother and two sisters. I am different than all of them. When did all that start? Where did all that come from? When does God start that process? 
week 10, week 24, I, I don't know. It's already in the mind of God. It's already in His mind. Our, day, our days have been ordained by Him, written in His book, and it starts when life begins. And that's what the Colson Center is saying. That's why this is so important. God has gone to great lengths not only to give us a gift. You didn't ask for it. And, and it, 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 it hurts. hurts. And that's, and that's why, why I try, try and talk, talk with people, people when they think life isn't worth living. Because we didn't ask for this. It was a gift for us. It was given to us. God gave us that gift. And now what we're trying to do is make sure that that gift continues. From in the womb to the bed where somebody is laying dying. They still have value because of what we believe God has said. So th this morning is just a reminder for us, and again, these baby bottles are out on that table. The lengths to which God, who created and formed us, would go so that we might experience the life that He intended. God has built us. He had made this world for life to flourish. If you read back in Genesis and it says, it is good, that's what he means. He wants life to flourish. He still does. And we are ad that's simply what we're advocating, that life would continue to flourish in 2023. And that we wouldn't have people worried about whether or not they would have risk of being born that we understand what we believe and what Scripture tells us. It's the most loving thing we can do for people. It's the most loving thing we can do for that lady who's in a crisis pregnancy center and talk to them about their life that they think is over because of this baby and how their life has value and worth. And so does that baby's life that's growing inside of them. That's the most loving thing we can do for them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for life, the gift of life. Um, thanks for reminding us of that gift, even as we can hear a little life crying now. God, it is precious. It is a miracle and it is a gift that is worth fighting for. So, Lord, I'm thankful for organizations like Jewel who does that every day. I pray for the ladies they've already spoken to, those six women who came into that center and had conversations. Lord, I pray for those who will walk in there this year and all over the United States. God, I pray that you would help us as a church to champion, champion and fight for life from conception to birth, from birth to lying on that deathbed, Lord. We are supposed to be fighting for it, Lord. It's the most loving thing that we can do. So God, I'm thankful for uh, the gift of life. Uh, again, as we are praying about this, Lord, those who have recently had some babies as part of Christ Church and Julie as well, who is expecting. God, we're just grateful for the life, the precious gift that you've given to each one of us. God, help us not to take it for granted. 
We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.